You may be seated. If you are one of our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. There we go. Let me just again welcome you here this morning and say that we're glad and excited to have you. And um, if you missed last week, let me first of all say that it's probably best for you to go online or download the Creekside Church podcast, which we do have. And for you to listen to that sermon, uh, because last week we kicked off a brand new series called We Are Family. We are family. It's good. All right, I see the life in you. I see how invigorating that statement is that we are family. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Will Oswald from the church at Cane Bay, he came and preached on that first sermon. So again, let me just reiterate that. That was the first week, very foundational, not just to the sermon series, but this series, We Are Family, is going to be very foundational for a lot of the things that we do this year. Okay, let me say that again. This series, We Are Family, is very foundational for a lot of the things that we are going to do this year. It's very important for you and me to have this clear understanding of what the Bible says about our relationship together. Okay, and what the Bible says about who we are in Christ and a lot of the language that we're going to use this year, a lot of the activities and a lot of the things that we do this year is going to be based on this idea from the scriptures that you and I are family. And so what that means is I really, 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 I want you to be locked in with us over the next four weeks. Over the next four weeks of this series, I want you to be locked in and know where we are, to be here, to kind of take it and go all in with this series, because again, it's so important to everything that we're going to do this year. Now, whenever we talk about family, we use that word family, a lot of different things come to your mind, I'm sure. Whenever we use that word family, let me just tell you what we're not going to be talking about. We're not going to be talking about your family. Okay, the people that you share a roof with, the people that you did share a roof with growing up, immediately I'm sure that's where your mind is going to go. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about your family. We're not talking about the experience that you uh, may or may not have had growing up with people under a roof. We're not talking about your children. We're not talking about your parents, brothers or sisters or anything like this. Because whenever we talk about we are family and family life, what we're saying here is that we are referring to God's family. We're referring to God's family, God's family here. You see, because Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus started doing something that no one else had ever done before. Jesus started referring to God, and you can see this in the Gospels, Jesus started referring to God as daddy, as father. He says, Abba, father. It had never really been done before in the history of time. You weren't even really supposed to mention God's name. And here this guy shows up, Jesus, and he not only says the name of God, but he calls him daddy. First time it had really ever been done in the history. And he refers to God as father and, and as daddy. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me really, really fast to the Roman, uh, book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our connect table, and that's a free gift to you uh, that's yours to have. Romans 8. It should be up on the screen. If you're there, say, I'm there. Romans 8. Look in verse 15. This is what he says. 
Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus said in the New Testament that God was his daddy, his father. And through here, what we just see in Romans is that not only does Jesus get to call God daddy, you and I get to call God daddy too. That we have been adopted into the family of God. I don't know about your family background, your family history. I don't know what happened under your roof, what your perception of family is, what your perception of relationships are. But here's the news, the good news, that Jesus Christ, when he came and died into the world, came into the world and died on the cross. He did so that we could be adopted into the family of God. That we're all adopted. That we get to cry out and say, Abba, Daddy, Father. And he goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? That we are children of God. You see, the world can't say that. The world cannot say that well, we're children of God. He says so here that we are now children of God because we are partakers in this and followers of Christ. He says that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, we have been adopted into God's family. We've been adopted into God's family. We weren't in God's family. We were a part of we were apart from God's family, apart from God. But here's the beauty about the good news of Jesus. That whenever you receive it by faith, God adopts you and brings you into his family. God adopts you, says, I want you to be in my family. And so if I'm in the family of God, and if you're a child of God, then guess what that makes us? Whether you like it or not, we're brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. And here's the good news. that I have a son, and he is five months old. And he's not adopted. You can just look at him and tell. He's got brown eyes, and he's husky, just like his daddy. We look just alike. I die, we, he is definitely my child, no denying him. And the way that I now look at my son, it is this forever kind of love forever kind of love like there's nothing that he could do to where I would look at my son one day and say you know what I don't love you anymore that I don't want a relationship with you anymore that's never going to happen never going to happen there's nothing that he could do to to stop me from loving him I might get mad at him I might yell at him I might even kick him out one day I don't know I think about doing it sometimes but there's nothing that's ever going to make me stop loving him. And here is the news that whenever God says that you are a child of God, this is the same way that he looks at you. I don't know about you, but that's so reassuring to me. I've done some things and I've messed that up. I've messed up that relationship a thousand times. But God looks at me and says, that is my son. And God looks at you and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And you've been adopted into this family. It is a forever kind of love and we don't think about God that way we we see relationships and kind of this quid pro quo that I do this to you you're mad at me I do this to you and you will end this relationship and sometimes we project that onto God that I've done this and now God doesn't want anything to do with me and we don't see that anywhere in the scripture 
You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. So we're part of the family. And so if God is our daddy, then we're all brothers and sisters. And listen, we're not like a family. We are a family. It's not like we're brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. I, I hear it said oftentimes about Creekside. And, and this is so good. And this is, we love this. This is actually one of our goals for this year is whenever people say, you know what, Creekside, it just feels like family. It feels like family. It's like family. And whenever Pastor Ryan and I hear that, we love that. And we want you to feel like family here. But here's the thing. We're not like a family, guys. We are a family. This is what God says. God says that we are a family, that we've been brought into the family of God. And so whenever I hear that, it, it feels like family. Church, Creekside Church is like family. No doubt that people mean well by that, and, and those are compliments. And we want it to feel like family, but we don't want you to misunderstand this. We're not like family. We are family. We are family. We are. And so here's the thing. You don't attend a family. You don't attend a family. You don't shop for a family. You don't go around hunting for the best one that fits you. Either you are part of family or you're not. You don't attend one. You don't show up for this cathartic experience in worship in a family. Like you don't, you don't look for that. Like I gotta go to the best place. I gotta go to the best place where they do worship awesome. I gotta go to the, you know, where where it's just this awesome experience. You don't shop for a family. You don't even come to the family gathering and then leave the rest of the week and you're not brothers and sisters. Like we are brothers and sisters here in the gathering. We are brothers and sisters Monday through Friday together. Some of you will get this reference and you can fill in this with me. Tell me what TV show this is. Um, Lamar, if you don't get this right, man, I'm going to be so disappointed in you. Um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, not going to sing it for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do the intro here. Sometimes you got to go where everybody knows your name. What's the name of this show? Where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Cheers. Too many of you know that. Well, whenever you hear those lyrics, sometimes you've got to go where everybody knows your name. Somebody, so you've got to go somewhere where you belong. You've got to go somewhere where everybody's glad you came. You would think for just a second that they're talking about church. They're not talking about church. What are they talking about? talking about a bar and they're talking about this bar like you've got to go there to be around the people that know you and to be around the people that love you where everybody knows your name listen guys whenever the bar is more like the church or more like a family than the church then something's wrong with this picture something's wrong what if people could say that about us that creekside church i gotta go there where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came now, I'm not saying that the church needs to be like a bar. Some of you would love that. I'm not saying that the church needs to feel like that. I'm not saying that we're ever going to serve beer at the table out there. You know, I'm not, definitely not saying that. But what I am saying, you know, is that whenever the church does not feel like family and there are places out in the world that feel more like family than the church does, that there's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with that. And so it should feel, it should have that family feel here on Sunday mornings and in our community groups. This should feel like family, that 
that whenever the church becomes, or, or, or whenever the bar feels more like family than it does here, then maybe we've gotten off the path of what the church was really intended to be in the first place. And so the question is, guys, if we're a family, what kind of family are we going to be? What kind of family are we going to be? And what will our church be about? What will our church become? And I'm glad that you asked that. What kind of church is this going to be? And what kind of family is this going to be? And I want you to hear me say this, and this is the bulk of where we'll spend our time this morning, that if you're a part of this church family, and you're not becoming more like Jesus, and you're not becoming more like Christ, then our church is not going to become more like Jesus. That if you yourself, the individual, singular, if you're not becoming more like Christ, then our church is not becoming like Jesus. And the bottom line this morning, and if you don't take anything else away from this sermon, I want you to take this. The bottom line is simply this, that we can't become the family God wants us to be until you are becoming the person that God wants you to be. Now, let me say that again. That we can't become the family God wants us to be until you become the person that God wants you to be. Now, if you, came to be, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you claim to be a part of this family and you aren't becoming like Jesus, I want you to know this. Our church is going to be messed up. Our family is going to be messed up. That you're, in many ways... You're holding us back from who God wants us to be. You're holding us back, and our church is going to be messed up Messed up if you're not becoming more like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We've established already, you're in, okay? You're in. You're a part of the family. There's nothing that could kick you out or remove you from the family you're in. But the seriousness of this is that as you follow Jesus... There's nothing that's going to cause you to lose your place in the family, but we have to become more like Christ. We have to. We have to become more like Jesus. Our family has to become more like Jesus. Turn with me for just a second to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. This is where we're going to be the next four weeks in Romans 12. And the scripture should be up on the screen here. Romans 12. This is what he says. This is what Paul says to the church at Romans, to the family there at Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, who? I appeal to you, therefore, church members. I appeal to you, therefore, outsiders. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Brothers and sisters. Why? Because they're a family. It's this insider language here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. By the mercy of God. You see there the family language. Fifteen times in Romans chapters 1 through 11, he uses this family language about being sons and about being adopted and about brothers and sisters. Fifteen times within the book of Romans, we've already seen that where he's saying to them, you are a part of the family. You are a part of the family. You are a part of the family. Your sons, your brothers, your daughters, your adopted, we're in this together. And he says this, Hear this, my brothers, I'm begging you to listen. I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Since God is merciful, 
since we are a part of the family, he says, I'm begging you, I'm asking you, because God has been merciful and because God has adopted us as children, he says, listen to this. Here's your family responsibility, okay? He says, since we are brothers, he says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, I urge you, brothers, as you're a part of this family, he says, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, that word sacrifice, we don't really use that today. We don't sacrifice anything anymore. And if you do, don't tell me about it. I thought that would get more left. Now, it may sound a little bit creepy, Presenting sacrifices, it may sound a little bit cultic because of movies and stuff like that, but in the original Old Testament, the way that it was designed, it was not really that taboo, it was not really that kind of a creepy thing, and it was something that they did in the Old Testament. It was a system that God put into place that whenever people, they asked to worship God and they would kind of worship Him and they would present to Him some of the best of their crops or some of the best of their flocks, and they would bring it and they would say, this is for God. I'm, I'm giving this to God, this best of my crop or the best of my, my sheep, the best of my livestock. I'm giving it to God. I'm a part of God's family. He saved me. This is for God. This is my worship for God. And so they would present a sacrifice to God. And they would say this like, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm surrendering my best to you. I'm giving this back to you. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I trust you completely. But here's what would happen with this system. They would take their best, they would sacrifice it before God, they would leave the table, leave the altar, they would go out, live their lives, and after they would live their lives, and kind of the the day-to-day route, they would sin. And they would fall short of the glory of God, and they would betray their relationship with God. They would would sin, essentially, and, and become rebellious towards God. And so they'd have to go back and sacrifice something else later on. And then they would leave there and they would go and they would sacrifice, uh, and they would go and live and they would sin against God, rebel against God. So they'd have to come back and sacrifice more. And they would go back and there was just this pattern of sacrificial system where it was kind of this broken way of fixing things. Sin, sacrifice. Sin, sacrifice. Rebel against God, bring my best. Rebel against God, bring my best. And we, we do that a lot of times too. Like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do that again. I won't ever do it again. Here's my best. We're going we're gonna to do this now. And then we go and we sin and we come back and do the same thing. Well, here's the good news is that whenever Jesus came into the world, Jesus was the last of all sacrifices. We refer to Jesus as the lamb that was slain, the final sacrifice, so that we no longer have to sacrifice animals. Whenever his blood was poured out, it was the final sufficient sacrifice that covers over you and me. Come on, that's better than that. Give me some of that. Listen, you don't have to sacrifice animals, all right, if for nothing else. Like, you're not spending your Saturday afternoon with the goat around or anything like that. Like, not, we're not seeing streets of blood or anything because of the sacrificial system. And, and whenever Paul says here, you know, we don't offer animals, we don't offer flock anymore. But whenever Paul says that when we trust in Jesus means that we give him our lives now. Not as sacrifices who have to die. Jesus was the sacrifice that died. We are the sacrifice now that lives. Jesus died the death that we should have died, and now we're living the life that he should have lived, covered under grace. So now we give our lives as a sacrifice to Jesus. 
a living sacrifice. Now, that might sound like an oxymoron or a paradox, but a sacrifice is something we give up to be consumed or killed. So what is a living sacrifice? Galatians 2.20 says it this way. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, listen. You were brought into the family of God. You were adopted as sons and daughters. And because of that, Jesus says that I want you now to live as a sacrifice for me, where it's no longer you who live, but it's me that lives through you. And so I'm just going to tell you point blank, there's some things in your life, there's some things in my life, there's some things in the life of this family that we have to die to, that we have to put to death so that Christ can live in and through us. Things that we have to put to death. What, what are you talking about? What do we have to put to death? You see, if you're a Christian, being a living sacrifice means that you are dead to some of the things that you used to live for. You're dead to those things now. You ever said that to somebody? I hope not. You're dead to me. I probably had a brother or two that said that to me at some point. You're dead to me. Whenever we become a follower of Jesus, there's things in the world we say we're dead to that. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. What are those things? Certain things that we have to die for. Some of the things that I think that we have to die to, number one, is we die to ourselves. You have to die to yourself. We die to yourself. Believing and following Jesus means that you are no longer the king. We often refer to Jesus when we say that Jesus is the king and Jesus has this kingdom. Well, guess what? If Jesus is the king, you're not. Either he is or he's not. If Jesus is the king, that means that we simply have to surrender to the king. And whenever we talk about, we're, we're going to talk about this just a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but he says that by we're going to be transformed. And whenever we're transformed, what that means is we're transformed by Jesus. And what that means is everything that we used to think and everything that we used to act upon, we don't think anymore the way that we used to. And we say, you know what, the king in his way is the best way of thinking. The king in his way is the best way of living. So we have to die to ourselves. Jesus, as king, we die. We no longer have control. What God says and what God wants is more important than what you want. What God says and what God wants is more important than what I want. So we die to that. We die to the self. The second thing that we die to is we, we die to our idols. We die to our idols. We don't have idols. Like, uh, I hope you don't have idols, these little shrines or anything in your closet. Um, we don't really do that here in America. It's kind of a, a very Old Testament thing, and some today, you know, it's still uh, a very um, Eastern type of thing to do where they have shrines and they have these idols that they literally bow down to. But we do have idols. We have things in our heart um, that we worship and that we follow after, and they promise that they're going to satisfy us. They promise that they're going to make us happy. They promise peace. They promise to fix our brokenness and to fix that hole in our hearts. And just in case Jesus isn't enough, I need Jesus plus this. I need Jesus plus this or that. We look to these lesser substitute gods to give us identity and to give us worth and to pleasure and to give us satisfaction. 
whether that is a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a career, a job, money, stuff, sex, pornography, sports, hobbies, thrills, whatever it is that we look to find validation in, whatever it is that we look to find satisfaction in, other than Jesus, we've made it an idol. We've made it an idol. And I, I'm not going to pick on anybody here, but um, I, I'm learning more and more that some of the things that we idolize here in America are actually good things. They're actually good things. Some of the things that we ideal, idolize here in America are good things. And number one thing that I, I think that I see in our culture today that, that we idolize, I, I think we really idolize parenting. We idolize parenting. And I don't necessarily mean that we make our sons and our daughters stand up in the living room and we like bow down and worship them. Some of us, maybe, maybe we do in, in our hearts, but we idolize the idea of being a mom or a dad. And our minds are consistently, oh, are, are they well? Am I a good mom? Am I a good dad? Do they love me? Are they happy? Am I doing the best that I can possibly do? Do they have friends? Are they succeeding in this or that? Are they happy? And we put our minds so much on that. And we just look for that compliment. Hey, you, you know what? You are a good mom. You are a good dad. And we seek to find validation in that title and in that role rather than what God says about us. God says, I'm perfectly pleased with you and who you are. God says, I'm perfectly fine with you. You are adopted. You're my daughter. You're my, you're my son. But we look to our children to bring validation, and we look to that title for what others see around us to say, hey, you know what? I, I see that you're doing such a good job. And we just want that pat on the back because that will bring validation. If they would just say this, then I would be satisfied. And the other thing that I see that here in our culture we really, really struggle with, and again, I'm, I'm not picking on parents and, or anything like that. I, I am one, and I have a thousand pictures of my, uh, my son and my phone. I, I understand that. The other thing that we sacrifice here in, in America, we idolize here in America, is we idolize some grades. I know that we got some college students here. Listen, I'm just going to speak to you for a second. We idolize some grades. We will sacrifice our, our marriages sometimes. We will sacrifice friendships. We will sacrifice relationships in the church. Can't make community group because I got this, I got to study for this, this, and this. We will sacrifice anxiety and even depression sometimes based upon a letter grade. And listen, I, I don't think that God is happy or pleased with us based on how well you do in school. Obviously, you want to do well and you want to do all things for the glory of God, but is God really okay with you sacrificing your marriage, okay with you sacrificing your friendships, okay with you sacrificing your time in the Scriptures, okay with you sacrifice even your physical health? This is something that you've done. You've said this. Not something that God said. But we will put our bodies through living hell so that we can get that grade that we can be proud of us. If I get an A or if I don't get an A, if I get a B or a C, you know what? Gosh, I'm just not a person anymore. God's not happy with me. That's wrong. That's wrong. And some of us, we've passed that age. We're at work now. Do the same thing. Do the same thing. We work so many hours so that the boss can say, hey, you know what? Great job. You know what? When you retire, 65, 66, you might get a watch, you might get a plaque, but they're not going to remember you. What are you sacrificing? 
What are you idolizing within that department so that they would be happy with you? And so I hope you understand that idols, we often look at idols as these bad foreign things. No, no, no. These are things that we see as good, that we make God things in our lives. And, you, you know, I, I kind of study in the Old Testament. We see in the Old Testament that the Israelites, they always turn to idols when they didn't trust God. When they didn't trust God, when they didn't take his word for it, they said, you know what, we need something else. They always did that whenever they got tired of waiting on God, whenever they got tired of waiting on his promises, they would make something else. And they would even go so far as to say, this is the God that saved you. And we do that all the time. Whenever we don't trust God, we need this. Gotta have it. Because we don't trust his word, that we are who he says he is. And so listen, uh, I hope that you understand that one of the things that we have to die to is we have to die to our idols. And he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, your everyday life is the offering that God wants. Your everyday life, nine to five. That's what God wants and he won't take anything less. He wants your nine to five. He wants all of your all of you. And so you understand, now listen, that this changes the way that we re- review and, and perspective on relationships. This changes our perspective on jobs. Your job is not your job. Your job is to bring glory of God to God, and your career is just a way that you make money. Your family is given to you so that you can bring glory to God, not so you can hoard it and, and cling to safety and make sure that they're nice and presentable. Your 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 relationships outside of that, your hobbies, all given to you good things so that you could say this is what God looks like. This is the picture of who God is. And listen, if your body is presented to God in a holy and acceptable presentation to God, he says this is your spiritual worship. That word there, spiritual, and the actual Greek, it means logikos which means that this is your only logical explanation. This is all that you can do. Jesus gave his life for you. Your only logical explanation is to just give your life now for him. This is what makes most sense, to give your life back to Jesus. Your choices, your actions, your desires, this is what he wants. And so what Paul is saying is giving your everyday life to God is as a living sacrifice is the only kind of worship that makes any logical sense. That's all we can do. Jesus gave it all. Now we give it all, too. It's what you were designed to do. Look at this next phrase. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. No longer conformed, but transformed. Transformed. Listen, the last thing that we have to die to is we have to die to the world. We have to die to our own selves. We have to die to our idols, and we have to die to the world. Paul says that you should be dead to conforming to the way that the rest of the world thinks. It doesn't matter what people think about you. You understand? We want to live honorable lives, but it really doesn't matter what people think about you. And I think about this today in in terms of the world. Listen, that we often live under what we call peer pressure. It's not just a teenager thing. 
I, I was always told in, in school that, listen, whenever you get to middle school, whenever you get to high school, you're going to have what you call peer pressure, and people are going to trap you in the bathroom and ask you to do drugs. Never happened, all right? Like, it never happened. I never had anybody ask me to do drugs or any, I, I never sniffed, like, anything close to that in, in middle school or in high school. I had peer pressure, sure, but it wasn't the way that we said. Listen, I'm going to tell you this, whether you know it or not, in 21st century America, we have peer pressure like it's never been before, and it's not through the way that you think, but through social media and through Facebook and Instagram. Listen, we secretly compare our meals with everybody. We secretly compare our, our clothing with everybody. We secretly compare our vacations with everybody. Oh, man, they went to France last year. Man, he must, he must be really doing well. I'll be doing well in Hilton Head this year. We secretly compare our families. We secretly compare our houses, our hobbies. Oh, man, they did this. They're out on this Friday night. I'm not, in, I'm not doing anything this Friday night. I'm a loser. And we live under this peer pressure. And what we're doing is we're kind of keeping up with the Joneses where we have to one-up everybody. Oh, man, i, I got to show them this. Let me, let me put this out there for the world to see. And what we're doing is we're being conformed to the image of the world. We're looking just like the world. Because we care more about what people say and what people think than we do about what Jesus says. We would rather be validated by other people. Listen, we live in a world that thinks and believes some crazy things. And it is so easy to fall for it. And I think we have to even be careful sometimes with where we find our entertainment, that where we find our hobbies, where we spend our time, where we spend our money, where we spend our resources. Because as a living sacrifice, I no longer conform to the ways of the world, but I am transformed. That word, now that's a big idea for us. Transform, transformation. How many of you know uh, anything that's been transformed? You do. And maybe not the movie. Those terrible movies with Shia LaBeouf and Transformers. Don't even waste your time with that, okay? I don't watch Michael Bay movies anymore. I'm not going to waste my time there. But transformed. You can get that idea kind of. But really the best picture of transformation actually takes life in, in uh, a, a butterfly. Or a butterfly or what used to be a butterfly. That's a, what we call a transformative process where it used to be a caterpillar and then it turns into this beautiful butterfly well really we kind of see this as a it's kind of a a cool thing and we see the butterflies flapping around it's beautiful kind of listen that is a dirty nasty process okay i don't know how many of you like study this and i don't generally do this in my spare time i just looked it up for the you know the sake of sermons but a caterpillar literally dies it dies. Do you understand that? That the skin dies. That it has little things that it crawls with, that those things fall off and they die. And it's little antennas that they flap around with, they die. And everything about that caterpillar dies, but there's something in it that's gradually changing into something beautiful, into this, this beautiful butterfly that we look at. But it's really this nasty, dirty process. And listen, I want you to understand this. This is a big idea. But God ultimately did not come into the world to save you so that you could go into heaven one day. 
He did not ultimately save you so that you could go to heaven. What God came into the world to do was ultimately to transform and to change your life from being dead to now alive. That's why Jesus came into the world ultimately. Now we get to go to heaven and we get to be a part of that. But really, Jesus came down to transform your life. That's why he came down into this world. Transformation is the process by which we make Jesus king. And we slowly but surely, we begin to want the things that the king wants. We begin to love the way the king loves. We begin to see the world the way the king sees the world. That is transformation. And if there's anything in your life that is not aligned with what Jesus says, if there's anything in your life that is not aligned with what the king wants, then that is a part of your life that is still conformed to the world yet to be transformed. And that's what we strive after. That's what we strive after. Then he goes on to say, he says, uh, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, changing to what the king wants, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is, an ex- what is acceptable, and what is perfect. God is going to do this. You cannot transform yourself. Only God can transform you, and it is a long, messy process, but it's one that we have to take. It's one that we have to take, and what he says here is that God brings this about by a series of testing. There's a series of tests. I hate tests. I don't want to be tests. In school, out of school, I don't like tests. But God allows certain things into our lives. He allows certain things to happen so that we can yet again prove, am I surrendered to myself or am I surrendered to the king? Some of you are under that right now. You're under a testing. And you're being pushed and you're being pulled in every different direction. Run towards the light. Run towards the king. Run towards daddy, who says that I will satisfy you like nothing else in this world can. Run to daddy. What would it look like for every single one of us to be growing in Christ? What would it look like if singular, every man, woman, and child in Creekside Church was dying to self and being transformed by Jesus? What would it look like? Can you imagine what would be said about Creekside Church? That as singularly as something is happening in your life, something beautiful takes place in the life of our church that is undeniable. The people that go to that church, they're the most friendly people I've ever met. The people that go to that church family, guess what? They do things with their money that is unheard of. They do things in their family life that is unheard of. They adopted a child, the people at that church. They're crazy. They, they live at work in such a way where they kind of care about really, really doing a good job, but they don't really seem to, to wear it. They don't bring it home. They're not stressed. They're not ang- anxious about nothing. There's something crazy going on at that place. Well, what it is, is we've collectively allowed Jesus to transform us. What would it look like if simultaneously we died to our idols, ourselves, and the world? What would it look like? So, so we're a family. Many of you know this, that before, um, before I came to pastor and before I was at church at Cane Bay, I was in student ministry, and um, there was this one particular student that I loved dearly, and um, I'll save you a, a long story, but he's actually doing really well now. Um, we'll, we'll just call him, uh, we'll call him Joe, and Joe, I loved him, but I knew that Joe was far from God. I knew that he was running, that he was a rebel, 
He was always the one that had the jokes. He was always the one that was, um, you know, not really doing good at school, that he was not doing um, kind of very promiscuous. And uh, he was in high school at the time. And I just remember that my heart always kind of broke for Joe. And there was this one time that we were getting ready to go on this uh, weekend retreat. And as we're getting on the bus, Joe's out playing with his friends. And um, Joe's, you know, he's getting ready for the trip. And obviously he's going to have a good time. And uh, he's going to raise sand and be awful for me and all the other chaperones, and we knew it going in. And I'll never forget that before, as we're all boarding the bus, as we're getting ready to get on, that his mom comes up, and she had been kind of talking to some of the other moms, and, and she stops me, and she says, hey, I, I just want you to know. And she didn't barely even get those words out before she just lost it. And she's bawling there in the midst of all the students, and she's bawling there in the midst of of all the other moms, and she looks at me and she says, my heart is just breaking for my son. My heart is breaking for him to the point where she's weeping in front of everybody. Now that is the kind of love and that is the kind of heartache that only a mother could have. And she says, I I just want you to, if you can, whenever you're on the trip and you have a moment, just get with him and talk to him and pray for him. And I'm just begging, I'm hoping that God's going to do something incredible in his life this week, and I really want, I really want that. And I, I comforted the best that I could, and I looked after him on the trip. And like I said, he's doing well now. But here's the thing. He thought as this rebellious little teenager that his actions affected him only. That his actions and him being a little rebel and him being a little terror, that it was kind of fun and cute, and he was going his own way, and what he didn't know was that he was devastating the ones that loved him most. That he was hurting his parents. That he was hurting the family. Dragging the family down. Bringing him through this trial. So you might think that whatever is going on in your life is just between you and God. And you might think that it's, it's a rebellious time period for you, whatever it is. But I want you to know you're hurting us. You're hurting us. We feel your pain. We feel your rebellion. And we love you. We want what's best for you. We want what God wants for you. But don't think for a second that whatever's happening in your life is not affecting the body, because it is. Let's pray. Father, um, as we come this morning, um, we are a family. We are not like a family. We are a family. Lord, and you want every single person involved in that family um, to love Daddy and to follow Daddy and to serve you and to align our hearts and align our thinking and our worldviews with what Daddy says is best. Lord, and we all have things that we need to surrender to in our lives and die to, die to ourselves, die to our idols, die to the world, and be transformed. Lord, for the one that's here this morning and running and running and running and running, May they see you 
as the father sitting out on the porch waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. May they see us as the brothers and sisters who are not here to condemn, who are not here to push further away, but here uh, with open arms, we receive the one who wants to turn back to you. We are a family. We are a family. We are a family. All adopted as sons and daughters adopted by the King. We love you, Jesus. Just where you're seated this morning, just want to give you an opportunity where you are to kind of close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want you to get along with the Lord this morning. We talked about Jesus being a king and how we have to surrender. Well, the reality is that surrendering is not easy. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says that we're not just good people who come to God and need just a little bit of change and need a little bit of saving. He says that we are rebels who come to God and have to lay down our weapons. What is hindering you from coming to the king? And I'm just going to ask you there where you're seated, whatever it is, is it really worth it? Is it really making you as happy as it says that it will? Are you less anxious because of that? Less depressed because of that? Christ is the only thing that's going to bring healing, purpose, fulfillment. In just a few seconds, we're going to sing about how we love Jesus. And I want you to stand and sing if that's what God's calling you to do. If not, I want you to sit right where you are. And maybe today, for the very first time, God is calling you to lay that weapon down. To lay that idol down on the altar so that we might follow the true and good King. Just be obedient to whatever Jesus calls you to today.